Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. We have to help people understand what is very unusual about the gospel. One of the most controversial statements that the world struggles with in the Bible is the statement, we are sinners. Powerful words from RZIM president and speaker, Michael Ramsden. Welcome back to Just Thinking with the RZIM team. The word sinners has a negative connotation in today's society. So how do we share the gospel in this environment? We'll hear the answer to that question today, but first, Let's listen as Stuart McAllister shares about the freedom we have in Christ. Let's rejoin them now as we continue this Q&A series from the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Conference. Hi, I'm Aaron. Thank you for coming here and talking. You've talked about a lot of things that I've thought about recently extensively, and it's been quite enjoyable to hear other people talking about it too. Um, I just have one question to ask you, and it's, what do you mean when you talk about the freedom in Christ that we have? Great question, Aaron. Yeah, well, for me, freedom in Christ was, it began right away from when I um, experienced God and prog- has been progressive over my life. So what did it mean initially? I was an angry guy who would hurt people and almost quickly part of that went away, hurting people. The angry part didn't go away overnight. So God began to work deeper into my life to deal with the anger and the things I had done. So I learned over time that freedom was a journey. I had to grow into, like Chris said, becoming like Christ. So it wasn't, I believed in him. I knew he had forgiven my sins. I knew he had given me the Holy Spirit. I knew I was to follow him. But there was a lot of, of using the analogy, someone once said, it's, it's easy to get people out of Egypt. It's nothing to get Egypt out of them. <laughs> So just the same as I had left my lifestyle, but there was a lot of that lifestyle residually left over. How did that change? Well, the freedom came through what Jesus said. You will know my word and and the truth will set you free. So by studying the Bible, it began to change my thinking. My thinking began to change my behavior. I shed light on things I didn't even know were wrong. There were things that I used to do that were just, they were normal. Now the Bible said those were, they were wrong, but it wasn't just giving me instruction. It was giving me help. It was pointing me to power. It taught me the power of prayer. It taught me the role of church. It taught me the role of the sacraments to take forgiveness. So all through life, it's been an, an ongoing journey. And when I have reached places of when there are still things in my life, and there are things, even at this stage in my life, where I hit a wall, I turn to, to God's people. And I'll say, I need help with this. Someone pray with me. And sometimes God reaches in, oftentimes mediates that progressive freedom through there. But here's the three tenses I want to leave you with. When salvation uses three ideas. So if I say I am saved from sin, I mean that. I mean my sins were forgiven. All of those things Jesus has unequivocally on the basis of what he did, I am forgiven. But I can say to you, I am being saved. What does that mean? Well, I still have problems. I still have issues that I have, and I don't take them lightly. I take them seriously. But Christ is delivering me from my sinfulness, if you like, my behaviors, the residual stuff. But Christ says, one day I will save you and I will be home and I'll be saved from the presence of sin. And I will be fully free. So my freedom at the moment is not yet complete. 
I'm on the journey to my full inheritance when one day I will be fully free. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more pain. And until then, I persevere by grace, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of the church, and by the support of the scriptures. And that brings me into progressive freedom. Hi, I'm Susan. Uh, I really appreciate you coming. Um, so as Christians, we should, should we define ourselves based on our relationship with Jesus? Because that's what I think, but I, I wanted to hear what you thought. If so, how do we encourage non-Christians to define themselves instead of as victims if they're not ready to accept Jesus? That's a great question. Um, and the answer to that is we have to help people understand what is very unusual about the gospel. Mm. One of the most controversial statements that the world struggles with in the Bible is the statement, we are sinners. Because that sounds pretty negative. Um, but what it's trying to say is, look, this is what we're being defined by right now is something that shouldn't be defining us. The powers that define us, the thing, the, all this wrong stuff, all of this sin, stuff we've done unto us, that's what's currently defining us. So actually that's the boat that we're all in together. We're all defined by it. And the question is, is there any hope of some form of redefinition? So when a lot of people become Christians, the world thinks when you become a Christian, you change what you think. Or they think you change how you feel. Or they think you change what you do. But we know from scripture that when we get to heaven, God isn't gonna say, here's your theology exam. Okay, and you get more than 50%, you get in. Okay, he's not gonna say, list all the great achievements that you did in my name, and I'll see whether you get in or not. He's not gonna say, can you please describe in detail all the wonderful spiritual experiences you've had, and we'll see if that's enough. There's only gonna be one question. It is, who are you? And so what Jesus is doing is offering us, as you say, this whole new definition, this understanding this is who we are. So the message of hope that we have, and we need to be able to try to bring into this world is say, look, we're all defined this way. That's the state that we find ourselves in. And the question is, is there any hope to get us out of it? And that's what Jesus is trying to do, to try to give us this, this hope to take us out of being defined one way to another. I was speaking in Portland, Oregon last weekend, and I got a long email from one of the guys who gave his life to the Lord in the first service, a beautiful long letter I need to reply to as I go back home today, in which he says, for the first time in my life, I understood that what Christianity was about was about having this new identity in Christ. So you are right. So I think where we can do is sympathize with the world that we're in. Yes, that's what defines us. That's what defined me. And now as a Christian, I now have a new, whole new starting place and even more importantly, a whole new power at work within me to help me live differently. Um, so we have to make that distinction for them. So I think the question then should be, if we're doing this right from them, hopefully is, this is unlike anything else I've ever heard. So how can I say you're not a victim because you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. a child of God doesn't do, yeah. I mean, it doesn't touch her. Okay, well, but I think the, where you may want to start in that conversation is for us to try to understand how negative it is just generally for us to work that way. Um, that's why um, a lot of leading thinkers right now, none of whom are Christians, are all saying the same thing. Look, we seem to be trapped somehow. It's like we're imprisoned. Um, and what we need to do is have a conversation that starts with maybe helping them come out of that into something else. There's a story I used to tell a lot. I haven't been telling it a lot recently. Um, uh, um, but many years ago, when I first started doing this, 
I was having a haircut in the north of England and it was, a, it was a tough community to share the gospel in. And the woman cutting my hair, as I was talking with her, uh, one of the things that came up was she, she was pregnant and she said, Michael, I'm worried about bringing a baby into a world filled with so much evil. And I borrowed a line from Ravi Zacharias who'd actually heard it from someone else. And I said, I know about the evil out there. What about the evil in here? And then she said, Michael, if there's an overway to overcome evil in the human heart, that would be amazing. And I said, gosh, it's so interesting you should say that. She said, Michael, I'm trying to be a better person, but I can't. I feel like I need someone to come and rescue me. And I said, you're telling me you need a savior. And she went, ooh, that's a very good word. Because um, how often do you use that word in day-to-day speech in England, sort of like 30 years ago? It doesn't come up that regularly. She's like, ooh, that's a great word. Now, if you can't get from there to talking to someone about Jesus and you think you're an evangelist, you really should go do something else, right? So, so, um, so I would say don't start with the conclusion. Mm. Try and step into your daughter's world and think, how can I, where can we get to the point? Whereas when you begin to diagnose what some of the issues actually are, this is where we go. Uh, Mary Shelley, when she wrote for Frankenstein, she was an ex-Christian Mary Shelley. So her father was actually an evangelical minister. She rejected the faith. She became a very public atheist, very unusual in her day and age, all that time ago in the United Kingdom, female leader, writer, speaker, atheist. I mean, it was, that whole package was rare. And when she wrote Frankenstein, there's something in there which is amazing, especially given that she's an atheist. So Frankenstein's the doctor who creates this moral being, this being, right? And Frankenstein's monster actually is very kind when he's first made. And he becomes more and more evil the more he copies human behavior. And eventually Dr. Frankenstein talks to this being that he made, this being that started off very gentle and kind and then became increasingly violent and hostile. And in chapter 13 or 16, I can't remember which now, they have this conversation. And the, and the being says to Dr. Frankenstein, look, when I came into this world, I couldn't understand why human beings needed laws. But the more I read your history, the more I observed you, the more evil you seem. He says, all I can conclude is you were created in the image of something perfect and you fell away from it. Mm. And then this guy, the guy says, and I seem to have been created something in the image of something imperfect. So how greater then will my own fall be? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so maybe see if you can tap into some of the, you will, if you tap into some of the atheist, agnostic, whatever sources, songs, music, literature, books that she's reading, you will find these things recognized in there. And if you can start from there, the question then comes, who can get us out of that? That's where the uniqueness of Christ comes in. Is that helpful? Thank you. It's really Thank you it's for a great question. question. Next question. Hi, I'm Jeanette, and I'm a little hard of hearing, so I may have just missed what you said, and you speak pretty quickly. I do speak fast, yeah, yes. I'm sorry. A lovely accent, but, you know. I'm trying I, to learn I to just, speak. <laughs> I, I'm trying to learn to speak in tongues, and speak know, creates accent. that illusion. <laughs> so, but I, just simply, the difference between uh, the world's definition or approach to integrity versus the Christian, and if you could speak a little clearly from my oh, ears. Okay, all right. Okay, so that was just a passing point I was making, which was, in secular theories of integrity, we have a huge problem with the idea of redemption. What happens when you fail? Is there any way back from your failure? So it's not just enough to say, what does integrity matter? There are three other questions you have to ask afterwards. When integrity fails, <laughs> is there anyone I can speak to? What was that? Is there anyone I can speak to? Is there any hope for me? And is there any redemption to get me out of the hole? So the reason why a lot of major corporations around the world get taken down is when people fail, they don't know who to talk to, they feel there's absolutely no hope, and there's no process of redemption for them. So they bury what they've done and they hope to get away with it. And that can destroy billion dollar corporations like WorldCom, Enron, Arthur Anderson, 
and even hit Volkswagen for tens of billions of dollars, or it can take down a small family business. So it doesn't matter if you're talking in your personal life, family life, political life, business life. It's not enough to believe that integrity matters. You have to be able to answer the question, what do I do when integrity fails? And that's the unique thing that the Christian faith gives. It gives us hope when it fails. You've been listening to a Q&A from the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Conference. And at RZIM, our mission is to provide thoughtful answers to difficult questions. Be sure to visit our website to see a full list of our resources, such as podcasts, videos, and blog posts from the RZIM team. That web address is rzim.org or rzim.ca in Canada. To order a copy of this entire Q&A series, be sure to call us at 1-800-448-6766 or order from our online bookstore. And if you'd like to become better prepared for conversations about life's biggest questions, check out our nine-week DVD-based small group curriculum called Everyday Questions. This curriculum was developed with pastors to prepare small groups to love their neighbors while sharing their faith in a complex world. Featuring Ravi Zacharias and many other great speakers, we hope you'll take advantage of this amazing resource. And you can go to everydayquestions.org to learn more. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by RZIM in Atlanta, Georgia.